Welcome back to What A Hit Sun and what has been an interesting Euro 2020 group stage. Joining me to reflect on what has happened as well as looking ahead to the knockout stages is my brother Rue. Welcome back Rue, what a great tournament it has been uh, so far with plenty of shocks and headlines that have arisen from it. Yeah, thanks for having me back, you know, I suppose um, it'd be interesting to look back now on some of the predictions we made before the tournament. Um, I, I know I said I wanted an exciting tournament with like plenty of goals and I know previous Euros sometimes can be quite boring and kind of um, a lot of nil-nils or low-scoring games, but we have, we got what we, what I asked for, um, loads of goals, a couple of games where teams have really, um, really like stepped up and produced some big performances. And then obviously we've had quite um, eventful things happen throughout the tournament. Obviously, most notably um, Christian Eriksen situation, which thankfully everything's kind of seems to have um, resolved itself. Obviously, we don't know if he'll he'll come back playing football, but it's great to see he's um, he's okay and uh, kind of looking forward to the knockout stages now. Some tasty some tasty ties to to look ahead to. Yeah, I suppose we'll start with that um, Christian Eriksen incident. Obviously. Um, it took away from obviously the excitement of the Euros. Obviously, the day it happened, like I, I remember, I was I was in, uh, I was watching it on TV and literally turned away for one second because I I got a notification on my phone and I literally turned back and I all I saw was Ericsson on the ground. I didn't even see him, uh, see the, how he collapsed until they kind of showed the replay of him uh, collapsing, and obvious and as a fan, it it really kind of shook me as a fan watching it, even though like I, I know I, no matter who he, who is existence of who he played for, you never want to see a player collapse like that in a match and obviously have a heart attack. And to even like when you know how fit a player he is and he's, he has a heart attack on the pitch. It's, and the fact that they were giving him CPR, it was really kind of hard to watch. Like I remember, I had I had to walk out of the room at one stage because I just found it too tough to watch, and obviously, and can only imagine. Um, but the one thing you could take from it is obviously how people react to it. So obviously, Simon Kjær and Kasper Schmeichel were pivotal, obviously getting the 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 Danish team to obviously crowd around Ericsson to give him his privacy while they the the doctors worked to to resuscitate him and obviously get him. Uh, get his heart beating again and then obviously consoling Ericsson's wife as well which was really nice to see but obviously it was tough to watch and see how she was struggling um, and then obviously how uh, Anthony Taylor how quick he reacted in getting the doctors on as well like that a lot of people played very big roles obviously in getting the right outcome Oh yeah, the reaction of Danish players was fantastic at the time. Um, I was in work, so I was only really able to to go off um, the the Twitter kind of reactions and the responses. And obviously, I was um, intrigued, and obviously, like I was sucked in to try and hope for the best case scenario because it didn't look very good for for a long time. And um, obviously, seeing the picture subsequently of what exactly happened. Like when you see and you just see his eyes open and uh, kind of like a vacant expression, it didn't look very good, but obviously everything's worked out well. But um, definitely, I know the BBC got quite a quite a 
bad rap for their kind of coverage of it, but subsequently has come out that it wasn't their fault in terms of the pictures were coming directly from the broadcaster in Denmark. So it's not really their responsibility in that sense. It's kind of out of their control. Um, and I suppose it's quite a, a unique situation that not not obviously the players have never been in that situation, but you kind of forget that, that like the pundits and um, the presenters, etc., have never been in a situation like that before and hopefully never have to again. Um, so I think everybody concerned in all kind of circumstances dealt with the situation as best that they could. Um, and obviously the main thing, we're delighted to see Ericsson is, is okay and um, whether he'll come back and, and make a return to football, we don't know. I suppose when you look at like someone like Dali Blind, um, who has a pretty similar... Um, has had a pretty similar procedure due to heart issues and uh, plays with uh, with uh, like a defibrillator if you like in his chest similar to what Ericsson has so um, and he's playing in the same tournament for, for the Netherlands so it'd be interesting to see if, if he does make a return obviously that's a that's a personal decision and um, that's something he can decide with in, uh, with his family but obviously just want to wish him a speedy recovery um, and we're just delighted that they're obviously he's still still around, alive and kicking. Um, and I suppose the, the the Danish team, their response and how well they've done, and the fact that they've got to the knockout stages is obviously something they can all be be very proud of. Because I can imagine having to play a game an hour and a half after an incident like that was rather difficult. And I suppose they were we we can't. Um, we can't blame them necessarily for the the result that happened um on the day because re- realistically we don't know the 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 ins and outs but they shouldn't really have had to make that decision they should have been taken out of their hands really um, I, I think that was that was the one thing i was going to ask you actually is in regards to that situation i think uefa made were very very awful to denmark in that way that they made gave them a choice that they'd either have to play later that evening um, and finish off the game or play um, uh, the next day at like 12 o'clock was the only two options otherwise they have to forfeit the game which you know for the players when when I watched it later like Simon Kiara the captain had to come off when they played the match after 60 minutes because he just physically couldn't play because he was emotionally drained and UEFA could have easily have found a way to maybe push the game further on in the tournament or have found some sort of way whether they give the points both to Finland and that give them a point each or find some sort of alternative. I just felt the way they did it wasn't fair to Denmark. Now, luckily, Denmark got through anyway, which is I'm happy to see that they got through anyway um, because they were a prediction of mine, obviously, to get through. But um, I still feel that that was very poor on UEFA's side uh, of how Denmark were treated in that sense. Yeah, look, uh, I suppose UEFA, there's been a number of incidences um, in the last, uh, throughout the tournament that UEFA have let themselves down. We know they're not a very well-run organisation, so um, that's no surprise. Um, I suppose the, the kind of human, the human element um, or the common sense factor obviously just didn't come into the equation and doesn't come in and um unfortunately money and tv rights and everything probably overrides everything else um unfortunately um obviously there's been the incidents obviously with the the whole um hungry germany game and lighting up the 
the the state the Allianz Arena in the rainbow colours and that being that proposal being rejected by UEFA and with Hungary obviously having instances of Sean having instances of discrimination and homophobia and all that kind of stuff. So oh look I don't know it's um we we know a lot of these organizations in football in general, FIFA is another one that are corrupt and they're just not um the culture from the top to the bottom is just rotten. Um and until these kind of someone kind of goes goes in and almost eradicates all this almost fascism to an extent and power power people from the top positions. I don't think you're going to get have these organizations run correctly. But I suppose that's the situation in so many walks of life, not just football, but with the amount of money that's involved, unfortunately, you get these kind of people that shouldn't be in these positions and can't really do their jobs, unfortunately. Yeah, I agree with you there. Like as you as you touched on, obviously the Hungary incident, obviously with the racism and homophobia and that co- comments and chants that were supposedly made at the games and that and then obviously with the UEFA said they rejected the the Germany thing because they felt it was more a political thing but at the end of the day like I think some action needs to be done against Hungary if they found guilty like Hungary themselves need to be punished I know the players necessarily weren't involved obviously in these chants or that but if if they have to send a message to Hungary, like for that you're going to play in front of no fans for the next four or five games because you you've held a, fu- a full stadium and it was full of things, and then obviously you've had situations of racism or that 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 if that's what they need to do, they need to do something because you can't just let this slip. It's constantly becoming an issue in football nowadays that if nothing's done, it's it's going to cause chaos and a lot of people will not be happy and it'll just encourage more and more people to be to show racism and stuff like that yeah i suppose um i don't watch an awful lot of rt uh, from the punditry point of view or the analysis i just tend to prefer watching on bbc or itv but and just because of the kind of profile of pundits they get on but um richie sadler and damien duff spoke very well on the situation and just how I suppose the statement that was given out by UEFA was how hypocritical it was, and in one sense they were saying how much they stand for, like against like homophobia, and they're very much for diversity and all that kind of stuff. And then they said it was a political thing, but when it wasn't end to do with politics, that was just an excuse on UEFA's part. Um, so they just did themselves; they didn't cover themselves in any glory. Um, Obviously, their handle uh, handling of the um, Czech player um, Kudla or whatever his name is for uh, Sparta, Sparta Prague, and the racist incident against um, or Slavia Prague, sorry, and the racist incident against um, the Rangers player. I suppose the they the whatever the whatever ban they gave them. Yeah. I think it was ten, 10 games, and it wasn't enough for 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 no. for what you're looking. When you look at kind of obviously. Uh, it's in other leagues that when there's been punishments, obviously for racism, that they've been a lot longer. Like UEFA have let him off very light compared to what he should be getting, really, for something like that. Especially kind of when you compare it to stuff like someone taking um drugs. Obviously, like obviously Onana is a perfect example. Obviously, 
he took his wife's med- medication or supposedly took his wife's medication and he was given 12 months suspension and then you're giving for someone being racist which i think is far more serious um uh, a 10 game ban which is literally like maybe a few weeks if anything depending on how many games obviously that they play yeah obviously if they're playing european competitions like or in league competitions or whatever um whatever other like cup competitions as such sorry they you're playing what two games a week so that's like four or five weeks worth of games so just makes makes no sense really that there wasn't like yeah there's loads of examples i i don't understand it it's just that there's no um there's no consistency there um like to punish that behavior unless less um as are deemed that um deemed that kind of to be less severe than the uh the, the taking taking drugs or accidentally taking medication because you might be sick or whatever it just makes no sense to me but anyway yeah yeah I suppose we could talk about that for ages, but I suppose we kind of more go to the positives now, kind of move on to the positive side. And obviously, seeing, seeing the, I think the first thing I loved is obviously seeing the amount of fans that are in the stadiums. I know they're not at full capacity, but obviously it was announced um, that uh, for the semifinals, there's going to be a capacity of 60,000 fans in Wembley for the, the semifinals, which is going to be great to see, which is nearly uh, three quarters of, of the stadium full um and i think that's what football wants because you could see the excitement you you could feel like you weren't having this fake crowd noise it was actually proper fans cheering no matter who scored and you could even hear when there was other games going on like i remember was it uh the england game yesterday uh the other day and um you could hear before um the the commentators announced the scores in the other games the cheers from the crowds and that which kind of made the games even more you're like oh something's happened in the other game yeah, it was class. Yeah, the excitement is always um, is always best on match day, match day three in the group stages, purely because you've been playing at the same time, um, and you're like, oh, something's going on here, and then you're waiting for the commentators to kind of fill you in on what's going on in the other game. Obviously, if you're not switching um, from channel to channel, so yeah, no, it's great. It's great excitement, and it's a great way to always conclude the the group stages. Um, it's in my opinion, obviously, the opening game. Is always a highlight, um, as it was this time with the with the Italian performance and their um their their version of their national anthem and how passionate and in a stadium full of Italians all belting out their national anthem with such pride and passion was all, was class. But the match day three is always kind of one of my favourite kind of parts of um of the knockout stages be- or of the of the tournament because of um just like. Like we watched the the Portugal and France game the other night, and like in this over the course of the ninety minutes, Portugal were in every single position within that group. So they went from first to second, or first to fourth, and then were third, and then were second, and back to first or something, and then finished in third place. So, um, very eventful night. Um, and obviously the Hungar the Hungarians were quite unlucky. But with everything that's going on, I think we were all kind of delighted that they did finish where they finished. Yeah, and kind of looking at that, so, so I think the the one thing I would say is, as as we said with the tournaments, you look at some of the teams that performed. Obviously, I remember we said Turkey 
would be a side that should easily qualify and it was like they never showed up in their group for the whole tournament they were very very abysmal really attacking wise like they i think they didn't didn't score until the their, their final game in their group like and then you look at the likes of italy and italy before this tournament had never scored more than two in a uh, a euros competition uh, competitive match and they, their first two games, they scored three goals. So, like, it really shows how strong a side they are. Obviously, they kept they kept a clean sheet as well in all, every game, and they've kept a clean sheet in their last uh, was it their last eleven or twelve games, which is a scary statistic to think of. And then, obviously, are unbeaten in like 31, 30 odd games or. Which is another scary statistic. So right now, kind of, would you would you think Italy are probably your favourites at the moment, just for how well they're, they're playing? Oh, absolutely, and I think they're still a lovely price or something. So if anyone wants to throw a tenner or something on, I think still still think you can get Italy at six to one with most for um with most bookies or something. But uh, the the um they've been by far the most impressive um side throughout the tournament. Uh, France has been quite underwhelming, really, considering I, I think I had them as my, um, to get to the final. I still think they might get to the final because they have that individual bit of brilliance, um, in the side. But I have um, but oh no, sorry, I think I've worked way of worked it way it's worked out now. I have Italy playing France in the semi final on that side of the draw, um. So and I think based on the performance we've seen so far. And how good the Italians have been at the back. I would fancy Italy to turn over the, the French um, and get kind of some revenge because they've been done over by the French several times in the past. Obviously, they beat them in the, the 2006 um, or 2006 um, yeah, yeah, World, final, yeah. World Cup final. Um, but they've obviously lost to them in uh, Euro 2000 to the Golden Gold, David Trezeguet, and stuff like that as well. So, I think they um think they might get a chance to to get another one on them. Yeah, and kind of looking at that there, I suppose, kind of looking at the 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 fixtures, I suppose, and we can go through each of each of the fixtures. Um, so you have obviously in probably the easier side, like for some teams, it's the easier side. So you have Sweden, Ukraine, England, Germany. Netherlands, Czech Republic, and Wales and Denmark. Now you look at that side, and you look at the likes of England, Germany, Netherlands, and Wales. Like, are probably ones who've stood out over the years in European. Obviously, Wales recently, obviously in the in the last Euros when they got to all the way to the semi final and and lost to obviously Portugal. Like any of those teams in that side will be looking at at that side of the draw and thinking. If we if we get a, a win or two here, like it's not too bad a, a run we could we could get here. Like the the other side is the more difficult side because all the kind of the big big nations are in there. So a lot of teams will be looking favorably at this side, and obviously you're already seeing the likes of England or Germany are going to get eliminated from the next round. So that's straight away a big name in that side of the draw that's gone. So. There's an advantage there for some teams, you know, and a few of the kind of nobody teams compared to other teams could easily get through. Oh, absolutely. Like, I think um, uh, you could very easily see someone like Sweden or something get to a semi-final or something, um, which would be some achievement. 
considering they're probably missing their high highest profile player in Ibrahimovic before the tournament even started. Um, obviously Denmark have a chance still to get through that. So that half of the the draw, if you're you're the Netherlands or you're England, um, or Germany, depending on whoever comes through that 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 game, you'd you'd like to fancy yourselves to go pretty far based on the kind of teams potentially no disrespect to the likes of Sweden or or Denmark etc but they would be considered one of the lesser nations so if you're that half of the you're that half of the draw you're pretty pretty happy yeah and kind of looking I looking on that side of the thing you're looking at the, the I'd say the biggest game in that side is obviously England Germany now you're looking obviously at England England in general obviously defensively we're very good but kind of attacking wise we have been very poor and i think garrett southgate's choices have kind of shown in certain areas that he's making some of the wrong decisions now obviously the other day he obviously playing saka and Grealish was a big big benefit for them because you could see obviously the two of them combined now you look at england now and you look at some of the other games so obviously he started foden in uh, the first two games and Foden didn't really create much you look obviously Sterling obviously scored two as well um but Harry Kane obviously hasn't really hit but you could say that's more down to kind of chances created for him and obviously for him dropping back more as well do you think what do you think kind of needs to be for England to obviously progress what do they need to to do obviously against Germany what what kind of players need to play for them kind of to help them beat the Germans well like that Germany team they're quite there's a, quite a lot of young players in there obviously Havertz has had a decent tournament um, but they've been fairly poor at the back as you've conceded they've conceded an awful lot of goals um, so I suppose they see this is the problem England have such a brilliant squad of players and individual as well as like collectively and the problem is um you have a man a very very poor manager there in my opinion who's picking uh he, he's almost pessimistic or negative and picks the teams all the time like he, he thinks of how he's it's kind of how to to nullify the opposition they play against rather than play to england so gary never picked his team and he said he picked a 3-5-2 or a 3-4-3 formation to basically um prevent um to prevent germany. instead of being like no we're actually going to go out we'll pick our strongest 11 and we're going to have a go at germany and if they're they beat us they but obviously you're 11 on the pitch you have a good chance of getting a result and I just think that's the the problem with the the psyche with the with the English media or and the English manager at the moment that they just don't they're not proactive they're um, reactive almost and they're just uh, it's a real negative um, form of football like you think of the the standard of football that's played on a week to basis and the style of football in the Premier League from the majority of the top teams is quite positive and quite attack minded. But when you watch the national scene, you'd never think that it's so negative. And I can't. I find it very hard to watch England at the moment. I think the tempo is mad slow, and um, it's it's quite it's quite hard to watch them. And I was delighted when Scotland got a result, and I was hoping for another a Czech Republic result the other night, but another one 0 win for England. What you can say, they've kept three clean sheets, and um, very positive. But 
Um, I think I personally think that England should just pick their best players. So you pick Grealish, you pick you start Sancho wide in the right. Um, I'd still start Kane because he still is the best attacker. I Sterling has scored two goals, but apart from that, he's been woeful all tournament. So I wouldn't be starting him. But I think Foden needs to start. Um, he's playing two holding midfielders all the time, Phillips and Rice. I don't think there's a need. Um, can take one of those out and put uh put a more kind of box to box midfielder in there. Um, or at, at least just instruct one of them not to sit beside the other one. Um, and then obviously playing, I don't see the point of playing for five at the back or whatever, or four, three, four, three, or whatever way you want to look at it. Um, that's just not personally how I would play it. Um, I would just pick an attacking side and maybe go four, three, three. But look, Southgate is his own man and um, he's going to stick to what, what he believes in. Yeah, like I look, I look at uh, some of the performances. Obviously, um, I thought when Saka came in uh, and Grealish came in, both of them just brought something, a different dynamic into them. Obviously, kind of, I felt England in the second half just nearly sat back a bit more kind of and were relaxed and just playing for win. But you could see kind of the difference in him bringing in those players who will literally run and run and run like Saka as he's shown for Arsenal. And obviously he got the man of the match the other day against Czech Republic. And I'm not trying to be biased, obviously, towards Arsenal, but I just think he is the type of player that England could need because he can play so many different positions that if you needed him to kind of play maybe as as a wing back for you if you were going to play a three three at the back formation he's a perfect player that can sit in there or if you're playing a more attacking formation you can have him up kind of more attacking wise because he just can can adapt to whatever style of play compared to some other players that are in the squad like your your sterlings or that um as well then you look at the likes of sancho obviously He's he only came on. He made his first bit, of, got his first bit of game time literally in the last twenty minutes of the um, So you do question why the top, uh, one of the top goals and assisters in the Bundesliga is being left on the bench um, to players like Sterling, who really haven't really um, performed in the the Premier League this season. It it, it just it's it's a very odd type of thing like I know he he was saying oh it's down to experience but at the end of the day anyone can can play very well whether it's their first tournament or their last tournament but give them the chance exactly yeah like I'm saying it's not like Jaden Sancho is playing in you know a farmers league he's playing the German Bundesliga he's playing the Champions League week in week out and he's contributed whatever it was some like 36 goal contributions over across the season like it just makes no sense for him not to be getting a game for that England team. And like playing Rashford on the right hand side and Rashford notorious he plays on the left hand side for, for Manchester United and then he played Rashford through the middle. I just I, I don't understand some of the Southgate's decision making at all. He keeps changing the back four and playing with different full backs and different games, whatever. I suppose you utilize your squad, but I don't know, he just he makes some strange decisions. Um and look uh, even just purely for the way the media go on, you'd love to see England lose to Germany, to be honest. But um, I have a feeling that, that that Germany team is not as good as it was, and it's still got quite a few young players. I think they're not, um, they might peak a little bit better come the World Cup. We'll have to see. Um, and definitely getting a new manager in there will definitely help. 
Yeah, and it will be an interesting one. I think everyone will be paying attention to kind of uh, obviously on the day of, of the game, which is on Tuesday, This the, the game is. Um, I think kind of moving on to the other so- game in that side of the draw, then uh, obviously uh, another team that performed very, very well in, in the group stage, obviously in Netherlands, obviously uh, the game against Ukraine, they uh, were near scraped a win against Ukraine after Ukraine's fight back, and luckily they they got the win in the end. But even some of the players that are playing for them, they, they seem to have kind of fit in. Obviously Memphis Depay, who's just confirmed a move to to Barcelona, which is a, another big step to a big club again. But Netherlands easily could get to the fi- final here on that side of the draw because of how favourable it is for them as well. Like, and that's that's a that's a team that's chasing success obviously obviously being close over the years um and obviously uh, losing the 2010 world cup final to spain that could be so, something that that could lead to them being successful as well it have been very lucky they lost the semi-final in the the, the world cup uh, as well to uh to argentina when uh, germany won it so they they are very um they are very unfortunate, really. They nearly went. I think obviously they won it in nineteen eighty eight, beating them when Van Basten scored that absolute wonder goal, a uh, wonder volley. Um, like I've seen a lot of people tipping already. Um, obviously high profile um move in the summer as well for Genie Wijnaldum. Chap scored three goals and he's been been by far the Netherlands' best player. Um, and I've seen a lot of people touting him for being player of the tournament so far. So if they were to go far, he definitely definitely has a chance. Um, apart from him, there hasn't really been necessarily too many standout players. Obviously, Memphis Depay has a got has an awful lot of talent, um, and he could very easily have a very good knockout stages. Um, I suppose they're scoring they're scoring a lot of goals. They're the highest scoring team I think so far with eight goals. Um, I think Italy have seven. Same with Belgium and Portugal, so they they're they're very good going forward. I, th- I think you can still obviously get at them at the back. They missed the the lit in the first game, so that was a good result over Ukraine. They seem to have sure to kind of been a little bit more solid since he's come back in. Obviously, they're missing very high profile player in Van Dijk as well. So I think it would be a massive achievement for them to go far missing a caliber of player like him. He'd like transform any side. Um, I suppose there, yeah, that de- you definitely, definitely, if you're Netherlands, you find yourself to at least get to a semi final. Um, so be interesting to see how that kind of side of the draw works out. Yeah, and then you look at obviously the, the, the who they could play in the quarterfinals. Obviously, you've got Wales and Denmark. Now, you would think, obviously, because of uh, there not being no Ericsson in the squad, that Wales probably would be the favourites. But uh, then again, you know, Denmark could have the drive after, obviously, the whole Ericsson thing to still kind of push on and make him proud. Um, and obviously, Denmark were very successful back in, uh, was it 1992? Um when uh was kind of the they were they were the shock of the tournament nearly um but um wales as well obviously having the su- success and getting to the, the all the way to the semis back in uh 2016 easily could push on and gareth bale has shown um to even though he's not scoring and obviously he skied the penalty he he's still been creating goals obviously uh against turkey even in the last 
last uh, minute of stoppage time, he was spinning around players and put in, and then ended up leading to the second goal. So he seems to kind of have found. He always finds himself, obviously, for uh, for his country <laughs> more than he does at, at club level. Which is obviously the joke is obviously Wales golf, and then Madrid was the joke, um, <laughs> which you could see. Uh, you could see the priority nearly for for Wales for sure in his performances. Oh, absolutely. He um he definitely played better for his country. He was obviously quite a quite a patriotic um fella. Um yeah, he's two assists, I think. So he's um joined third for for kind of assists so far. Um I think they were both in the same game as well. And obviously he's obviously the high profile uh, penalty miss. Um, I still think I think that uh, Nasser are probably best for finding that ball. Um, still in orbit, I think. But um, the uh, I don't know. Look, he he's been great. I I, I honestly think um, I honestly can see uh, Denmark actually getting a result against Wales. Whether they they'll beat them is another thing, but definitely think they can they can get a result. Um, they're they're quite um, they're quite a dogged side. Quite good at the back as well. So. Um, I think that's going to be a very, very tight game. Could be similar to the to the Wales Switzerland game. Um, so we'll have to see. Look, if Wales get through that, you'd fancy them to, to they could very easily get another semi final. Who knows? They obviously beat the Belgians the last time, so they're not a they're not a stranger to a high profile win. Yeah, and then I I think the final game in that side I won't kind of base too much on it because it was it's very hard to distinguish. But I think. Of on that side of the draw, I would I think I could see Sweden winning it maybe, um because I I think Sweden looked a very good side in that group. Obviously, they got the very good result against um Spain in the, in their in their first game and kind of have looked looked very very strong aside. Now, obviously, Ukraine could show up and and perform as well, and obviously. Um, Shevchenko as as the coach really seems to kind of get the best out of their players, and obviously Yarmolenko, who's who's banging in the goals for them as well, could really kind of push himself on. But I think kind of I see Sweden winning probably that one tie. Yeah, I think Sweden have been once again quite solid back. Obviously, they were, it was quite an eventful game the other night against Poland, but they still found a way to to win. So. Um, could be could be another game with loads of goals. Hopefully, that's I'm. That's the main thing you want to see. You can see some very cagey performances when he gets to knockout fo- football because of extra time and penalties potentially. So sometimes the performances are they can be kind of a bit of a stalemate. But um, just with some of the ties that have been thrown up, you'd hope there'll be there'll be loads of goals and some exciting games. So yeah, I um. If I was to pick one or two, yeah, I'd probably go Sweden as well to to beat to to beat Ukraine. Yeah, and I suppose then we're looking at the the right uh, left side of death, as it's called. I would say you've got mm-hmm. obviously Belgium, Portugal, Italy, Austria, France, Switzerland, Croatia, Spain. So you've got a lot of big names in just that side alone, and obviously the big tie kind of that stands out in that side is obviously. Uh, winner, uh, 2016 winners, Portugal versus obviously big, big name Bel- uh, or number one seeded team, Belgium. Um, and it, it, it's, got, it's definitely going to be one of the ties of the tournament, I think, so far. Now, I hope it's not a cagey match. 
Um, I hope there's plenty of goals in that one as well. Like like when you obviously France and Portugal the other night, there was a, there was four goals. But I hope it's something like that in 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 that game for sure. As long as we don't get a referee in performance like we got the other night, which was obviously despicable, but um, we know that referee has quite a reputation, bit of a drama, likes to, likes to be involved in the drama and be a bit of a, um, bit of a nuisance in that sense. But uh, that's definitely... I See, Portugal have played very differently this, tor- this tournament compared to, obviously, when they won the Euros and... Um, in uh, 2016, they they played quite a they played quite a negative set style of football. They were they didn't concede an awful lot of goals back then. But I think obviously with the 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 squad they have and the amount of attacking talent they have, I think the manager's kind of taken a bit of a a risk, and he's like, I'm going to put put more attacking players onto the team at the risk of maybe taken away from our defence um, because that can, that can get a result. And I suppose thus far, like they were very lucky. At one stage, they looked like they were topping the group um, as well in that last game. I know they got uh, quite a... They, had, they were very bad at the back um, against Germany. And then Germany obviously had two poorish results in the other two games. So I suppose that... They've they've been pretty shaft, pretty much shafted in terms of the way they've ended up in the draw. And um, if they do beat if they do beat Belgium, realistically they're going to be playing Italy then in the in the in the quarterfinals, which is obviously a very like like one of the probably hardest sections of the draw they could have possibly have gotten. Um, so, and then I think obviously if they beat that, they're they're, they're playing potentially either Spain or France. Um, which is obviously not ideal. I suppose if you're looking at the knockout stages, like I, I obviously backed Ronaldo for to be top goal scorer, so I'd, he's obviously two ahead at the moment and has an assist as well. So I'm hoping they can get at least one round further because obviously if they beat Belgium, that's Lukaku out of the, out of the equation, and um, so he can't be top goal scorer. And I think he's probably their biggest threat. I can't see necessarily any other like Mbappe and Griezmann haven't scored an awful lot of goals so far. Um, nobody scored an awful lot of goals for England. It's only Sterling has two. Can't see him getting many more all tournament. Potentially someone like Ronaldo could probably be biggest threat to Ronaldo. Um, or Immobile for Italy if they if they I could see them putting in a big performance against Austria. Um, realistically, you're picking there. I think Croatia are very lucky to be through. Um, obviously technically Portugal are for coming third as well, but. That was a ridiculously hard group. Croatia, an agent side, I thought they'd finish bottom of the group. They ended up finishing obviously third. Um, so they've 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 got a very hard result there. Spain were fairly disappointing the first couple of games, but obviously very impressive in the last. Um, so you'd be saying, oh yeah, I'd be saying Spain to play France in the quarters, and I'm gonna go Portugal to play um, Italy on that side anyway. Okay. Yeah. No. I. I actually. I actually. Um. Predict. I'm predicting probably Belgium, Italy, rather than Portugal, because I think. I know. Obviously, Be- Belgium. Um. Are always kind of there, and they kind of, kind of miss out. But I think. Now is the right. 
time for Belgium to play Portugal because I think Belgium can put in the shift and some of the, the talent that they have as well. Obviously, Kevin De Bruyne being one of the best midfielders in the world and even watching when he came on, was it they, they were um, when they were losing and Kevin De Bruyne came on and literally changed the team around and obviously got got the goal and then that beautiful assist as well and then Lukaku with his runs as well to create help create the space as well just watching the two of them and how they play together is just incredible to watch and then uh, Eden Hazard has shown glimpse obviously he's not the, the same player he was and he's even come out and said that himself recently that he he's not he doesn't feel like he's the same player he was and that he's lost a bit obviously from obviously all his injuries and that but still showing glimpses of um what he's done before i i can see probably belgium maybe just beaten now i think it could be one of those ones where it could go to penalties as well um that it could be maybe 2-2 or 1-1 or something that and it just goes all the way to penalties or I see someone maybe winning an extra time and that's down to obviously substitutions and how they make. And I just think Belgium have slightly a bit more. Now I could be completely wrong and Portugal could blow Belgium out of the water and Belgium just do not show up. But I just have that feeling that I just, I just don't know if Portugal can can get through. It's watching kind of on their uh, performances in certain in certain games um we'll have to wait and see kind of then obviously then you as you we we touched on then obviously italy and in austria kind of you you said probably um realistically you do see probably italy walking over austria now austria have been were kind of good in, in the the group stage and they have some nice players obviously playing for them obviously there was the bit the controversy with um What's his name? Um, Arnautovic. Arnautovic. That's it. I couldn't, I couldn't think of the name. Um, obviously, with the apparent racism towards one of the uh, Alanoski uh, for North Macedonia. But um, realistically, you don't see Austria p- causing too much hassle to Italy looking at how they've performed so far. No, the Italians are have been so good at the back. I suppose it's so um, it's, it's such a throwback when you watch the Italians and they they celebrate a block tackle or like they they want to keep a clean sheet and they they celebrate um, they celebrate a, like keeping a clean sheet like a team would scoring a goal. You know, it's it's just as important for them. They uh, they love the whole art of of defending. Obviously, famously having had some of the greatest defenders of all time and the likes of Maldini and. And um, Nesta, etc. From obviously from my era, anyway, growing up. Um, but the yeah, I I think Italy are just going to be too strong from like, um, Spinazzola has been one of the standout players um of the tournament as well. The full back, obviously right footed playing left wing back, and I think he he's actually been clocked surprisingly now. I just saw the stat there that he's the the fastest player, joint fastest player at the tournament. Um, he doesn't look necessarily that quick. Um, you know, compared to someone like maybe Kingsley Coleman or Dan James or something, but technically the top, the fastest player so far at the tournament. Um, and he's such an attacking outlet and causing all sorts of uh, sorts of problems for defenses. So, yeah, I, I think Italy will walk over. I tend, I'd say they keep a clean sheet. I'm going to say two or three nil Italy probably in that game. 
Yeah, and and as you touched on, like just even some of the players that are playing for them, even uh, it's a quite a young Italy squad. I know you've got your Chiellini and your Benucci, obviously, um, in there, kind of who are kind of an older. Um, but generally, when you look around, and then Verratti as well. But when you when you watch them play Wales, like they had a lot of their main starters didn't even play in the the Wales fixture because they knew they were true. They had the six points. They were just playing for maybe a draw or a win and even with the certain players like Locatelli is another name who's really shone obviously and had scored a beautiful goal um in the in the second match for for them um so it's it is they, they do look like a strong side and having obviously Verratti was missing the first two games and watching him come in and showing how good he is as well is a big boost for them um, and I'm sure Mancini will have a few difficult decisions to make. Obviously, if he drops one or certain players to bring in players who performed, obviously against Wales or who are just back from injury, so he's he's got a thing. And then was it? They're one of the only teams I think to have, who've pretty much played every single player or started nearly every single player in their squad apart from one one because he even brought on was it Sirigu against Wales and the, like the 70th minute he decided to bring on Sirigu from the bench which is something I think even the, the commentators were even puzzled about Yeah I think that um, the reference to that was because of him going to um, a previous tournament with himself the 1990 World Cup and not playing um, and I think he always had a resentment because um, it was he was so proud to play for his country but never obviously be, to be picked so um that was that was the reason for that. I think just to to kind of rub, kind of shout out to his former manager for not playing him at the nineteen ninety World Cup. But um, I, it was great use of the squad as well. Like they they completely changed their team and still beat Wales comfortably. Really, uh, they were very good on the night. Um, and so they'll obviously be fresh, ready for the for the last sixteen and the game against Austria. So I think it was smart. They were going to be finishing top of the group regardless. So. Um, I th- well, unless Wales had Wales had beaten them, but that was very unlikely, really. Um, so yeah, like the smart use of the squad, especially knockout tournament football, like it makes sense if you can afford to rest players on the third game, why not? Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see. Obviously, obviously they get through, and who they, who they'll play in the next round. We'll have to keep a close eye on that to see um, kind of what happens on that. Kind of moving then, obviously to. Um, World Cup champions and um, obviously topped their group in France. Um, were very poor against Hungary. Um, obviously scraped a draw against Hungary, and in a game full of errors as well, they weren't too great. Obviously against Portugal, um, but obviously Benzema got a nice goal. And if for many people that didn't know this. Benzema scored his first goal in that match from the penalty spot on the 46th um, oh, yeah, point four four minute and yeah, then scored yeah. his second goal in the 46.44 minute and I don't think it's ever been done in the history of football. No, so, exactly. yeah, two goals the exact same time obviously with the added time. That was mad, wasn't it? Yeah, I only saw yeah. that it's like on TikTok or something. That was gas. I was just just shocked. Like, um, But he seems that now those two goals might kind of help push him on. And I think... That's the player France kind of need for a tournament like that is someone who can get you goals because you know obviously Benzema how he can do it for Real Madrid 
he's a clear player that you could need. And then obviously you've got the likes of Giroud as well on the bench who can get you a goal from a corner or a set piece as well who's very good or can hold the ball up. And then you never know, obviously, the likes of Mbappe or Griezmann can obviously shine in the next round as well. Obviously, they had the news, obviously, of Dembele had to pretty much is out of the tournament because he's had to go get an operation now on, it looks like, a knee injury. Um, And then, obviously, Lucas Digne literally came on and looks like he got a a bad knock as well and had to go off. Um, So it hasn't been good uh, for injuries for them, but... Certain certain players might shine. Obviously, Switzerland as well. Realistically, I see them walking all over Switzerland, looking at how Switzerland have performed. I don't see Switzerland really putting up with France that much. No, France have been very disappointing. But look, you fully expect them to, to step up now for the knockout stages. So, yeah, I'd agree. I'd expect, um, I'd expect them to... Uh, to turn over the, the Swiss. Obviously Shakiri's had a very good tournament and um, was very good in the last day, uh, two brilliant goals. But um yeah, they should be they should be sent home packing ready. Now that now, like you're gonna see the big teams like if a team once you can get through the group stages usually um teams kind of step up to another level when it comes to knockout football because it, it's just a different a change in a switch in mentality. Um, so I'd fully expect France to, and Mbappe has been quite, um, quite poor. Well, not poor, but like for to hit for his unbelievably high standards, he's been very quiet so far this tournament. So I'd expect him to find. Uh, I suppose it's been a long season as well, um, but I'd expect him to to start to maybe put in a, a big performance or two on the way to to the later stages of the tournament. Yeah, as 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 you touched on there, like a lot of teams now kind of kick onto a new gear. Like they might have been in like third or fourth gear, but they kind of step up to to fifth or sixth nearly when it gets to the the rockets because they know if you lose the game, you're out. Like as for in the group stage, you could lose one game and then you win the next two. So and when you kind of know that you're say you're going to be going through kind of as well, you kind of step off a gear so you could see the likes of France literally kick on and you could have Mbappe for no reason like against Switzerland score a hat-trick or put in this world performance and you're like oh that's the Mbappe we know Um, and we'll just have to wait and see kind of what happens with that but definitely I I do see kind of Mbappe kind of kicking it up a notch in the obviously the next round so kind of see on Monday kind of what happens with that then you look at the the, the final game in that side of the draw, which is obviously the surprise team to get through because they, they scraped it through, obviously, with a very, very poor Scotland side kind of throughout the tournament. And then, obviously, Spain, who were, weren't were great their first two games and then literally battered Slovakia in their final uh, group game, obviously, to get through. Um which might kind of show that, that that's kind of where Spain can perform. Um, what kind of have you, what have been your impressions, I suppose, on the two sides? Um, oh, look, the first couple of games, Spain were so hard to watch. Um, like, it's not tiki-taka football. Like, I know they keep the ball, but it, the tempo can just be very, very slow. Then, obviously, against Slovakia, they were very, very impressive. And now, look, I don't think that's necessarily big a big achievement. Slovakia aren't 
I I fully expect Slovakia finished bottom of the group. Um, I thought they 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 obviously got a a freak result against Poland on the first night. Um, and that's cost Poland really because Poland did very well in the the subsequent games in terms of they obviously got a very good result against Spain and then they were unlucky really obviously having come back from two nil down against um against Sweden to lose like it was like the ninety second or ninety third minute that Sweden scored the winner so they were unfortunate there but um so I wouldn't read too much into that obviously the the Spain result was quite dramatic in terms of the scoreline um and. I think they obviously. It's always a good trait in a side that when when you get one or two, when you see a side are vulnerable. I hate when side sides sit back and they're just happy to take the the, the two or three nil. Like go for more goals, be greedy, you know, try and assert yourself. So I, I like that um, that aspect of the Spain performance in the in the Slovakia game, but um, and I still think like they, they've they've got a they've got a good squad of players as well. And they have a couple of individuals that can come on and make a difference, like Ferran Torres, etc. Um, who hasn't really done much when he's when he started, but he's been been good off the bench. Um, he's the type of player who just seems to be able to make a, an impact off the bench. So I'd expect um, I'd expect Spain to win there. Um, Croatia, like I said, are an, an aging side. Um, Modric, they very much Modric and Perisic to thank for getting to where they are. Um, like even their back four are quite old. Um, so yeah, I'd expect Spain to to somehow get through. Look, if Croatia proved me wrong, they're they're very much a tournament, very good tournament side because they obviously have gotten they got to the 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 World Cup final as well. So maybe I'm I'm wrong to write them off, but I think Spain should beat them really. Yeah, and then kind of looking at that, then looking at some of the other teams, obviously I touched on obviously Scotland having a, a, a very poor tournament. What do you think kind of went wrong for them? Obviously, they were kind of ones who obviously they put in a very good performance and were lucky not to come away, obviously, with, with a win, obviously, against England, with how England performed on the night. What do you think kind of went wrong for them in, in the Euros, say, especially? Because I think they were one of the standout teams Um who who just didn't show up really? Uh, well, I think they were always they were always favourite to finish maybe third in that group. Um, like they don't Scot Scotland don't have like apart from maybe Andy Robertson, um, who I think is world class, obviously being a Liverpool player or a Liverpool supporter, but um, they don't have any mad, mad standout individual talents. Uh, obviously, B- Billy um, Gilmore is going to be class player um in the future and already is a very good player for Chelsea but um they don't have like individual talent that will win you a game like Jay Adams did a very good it was very good against England but had a chance to score a goal and unfortunately it was pretty woeful attempt like they just don't have someone to put the ball in the net like I think they they had another striker up top with them and he was just there to rough up uh, Tyrone Mings. That wouldn't be very hard. I don't rate um, Tyrone Mings. He's not even the best centre half at his own club. Never mind being in the starting eleven for for England. So um, yeah, I think what you call it was quite unfortunate. Scotland were just fortunate the group that they were in. Like the the first day, obviously the result against the Czechs kind of really set them back. And then it was always going to be tough against Croatia, just with the experience of some of 
some of those players Scotland don't have the experience of being at major tournaments for quite a while. So um, I think they'll learn from it. Um, but they definitely, you'd hope that someone would pop out with the woodwork between now and maybe the, the World Cup for them that can put the ball in the net. Because um, it's something they've struggled for quite a while with. Like you look back, like the last major, like the major players, you'd like to have your dog leash and your. Um, your soonnesses and stuff, but and maybe a McAllister for a period, but they haven't really had any of those kind of high profile players for quite a while, and it just yeah. makes a difference. And I suppose they, they they're never going to be able to compete with England, um, like that in terms of with size of population and everything. So it was always that's always their kind of cup final, and um, you maybe hoped that they had they'd had a result or two, and maybe if that was the last game of the group stage, um, it could have helped them. Thing, but they needed to win that game really against England, didn't they? To have to stand a chance, and unfortunately they came up short. Yeah, and then as you touched on there, like it was their first um, competitive tournament in like twenty three years, so it it was definitely something that they haven't competed in for a long time, and sadly that it just just didn't go right for them. Obviously, the first game you got the one of the goals of the tournament in Schick who just literally, even when you watched it from the camera from certain angles, you could see the curve on the ball, which was just phenomenal, a goal. And unfortunately for uh, Marshall, he was a, a yard or two uh, further than he should have been, and because of that was beaten. But it was a shock goal because I don't think anyone expected him to score when from where kind of he ran to it. But you get those in these tournaments. Um, and then kind of looking at the other thing then I, I suppose from this tournament is kind of what have, has been your kind of um, your thoughts on how the referees uh, and kind of the VAR um, performance throughout the tournament ha, ha, what have you kind of felt kind of how they done like I f- felt myself VAR has been used very very well like there hasn't been many bad decisions like i think 99 percent of the time the decisions have been very very well and vr has been managed very well um what kind of has been your view on both that and the referees um yeah i'd agree i think um i think the overall i think the the, the refereeing standard and also the the use of var has been fantastic um, I suppose it is frustrating at times with some of the VAR decisions that we can't, like when we watch the Premier League, we can't see what what's going on. Um, so I think that'd be nice just to give a bit of transparency at home. And there, but the decisions seem to be being made a lot quicker, and they're definitely making the right decisions. Although the last day, like I said, with Portugal, um, Portugal and France game, that was a farce. But that's the referee too. But I thought he was, he, he, he's a bit of an egomaniac, isn't he? And he wanted to be making all these big decisions. And I think sometimes he just took it upon himself. And regardless what VAR had said, he'd have just made his decision. Like that was never, that was that second penalty was an utter disgrace. The one on Kylian Mbappe was never a penalty. Um, I thought even the, the third one 
was was harsh as well. It was, yeah. it was harsh. I can understand why it was given. The first one was an absolute stonewaller. I know um what you call it's come out, uh, Pat Nevin and said they need to change the rules or something, but like Larice has come an awful long way. Like you gotta make sure you hit you get you get the ball and he didn't. And like even the follow through on um on um the PSG uh, was Pereira, wasn't it? The follow Pereira, through, Danny, yeah, Danilo Pereira. The the follow through with the elbow, like he proper. I I I I'd be amazed if um Danilo wasn't um concussed in some sense. Like he obviously played the remainder of the game, but wow, like he he hit him an awful an awful slap. Um, so that was the right decision, in my opinion. And as a lot of people have said, I think goalkeepers, it's usually the opposite way. The goalkeeper, goalkeepers have been very, have a real protected species in football. I know from playing myself, like goalkeepers are protected way more than any other player, which I can understand because they're a lot more vulnerable in terms of, but they seem to get away with a lot more. So I thought that was a refreshing decision, but the, the rest of the game, he was just, like he was trying to even things up all the time. It was just, and uh, France on France were ended up leading two one and they they hadn't even been anywhere near the best side like Portugal were excellent first half um and the start and up until Portugal equalised to get the two two and then France kind of came back into the game a little bit but France were quite poor in that game um, and somehow were leading two one you know so I um yeah apart from that game though overall standard referee has been brilliant um. It, it really highlights how good the refereeing ref the standard of refereeing is in other countries compared to the England because as we can see the English game needs a re- complete revamp the standard of refereeing at the moment is very poor although Anthony Taylor and some of the other officials have actually had a good tournament but when they're the, whatever it is domestically and their use of VAR leaves a lot to be desired so hopefully the the Premier League and those in charge the PGM uh, PGMOL or whatever can can reflect on the tournament and use some of the the things that are being done to imp, uh, implement it into the Premier League. So that would be one of the big kind of takeaways I would have for the tournament so far. Yeah, and uh, as as you touched on, like I, I, I totally agree with you. I think refereeing has been very, very good um, throughout kind of the games. Um, apart from obviously <clears throat> the France-Portugal game definitely agree with you on that so, uh, some of the refereeing decisions in that were, were just stupid um, and it was more kind of the referee's own kind of for his own confidence or his own to chip himself up and be like oh I'm a great referee kind of build himself up <laughs> he didn't do himself any favours in that um, and then um uh the VAR has been very good. I like kind of how they're using the thicker lines as well, which what the Premier League will I know will be doing obviously in the, the new season they'll be using thicker lines for the offside. So those little tight ones aren't aren't really kind of offsides anymore. Um really as you noticed. Um there were one or two ones where it was like a toe as well though and and I, I know as a fan it's just frustrating when you see that like a player's toe and he ends up not even scoring with that foot or whatever um, and it's an offside um, but it, they've been very very quick in the checks and stuff like that um, and then obviously getting the refs to make sure they check the the monitors as well has been very very good. Um, I think one other thing that kind of I saw which I think 
was an issue which I didn't agree with um in the game was I think was one of France's game I think it was against was it Germany in the first game Benjamin Pavard when he fell down and he hit his head off the ground and he played on and apparently came out after the game and said he he suffered concussion um and was or no sorry he was knocked out um and for like 10 to 15 seconds straight away if a player is knocked out for 10 to 15 seconds they're not they should not be allowed play on in a match because straight away they could have easily have suffered brain damage and they might not be showing any symptoms of concussion but it's important to look after a player's well-being i know he might have wanted to play on uh, but apparently it was Varane and that were, te- were encouraging him and tried to pick him up and tell him, oh, yeah, it's grand to play on. But the p- main priority should be the player's health and safety. Oh, absolutely. As you've seen, the detrimental effect um, those concussions and brain injuries can have um, long term is just catastrophic. So, yeah, no, like, and players shouldn't be allowed to make that decision. The decision has to be taken out of the player's hands because, um, like, I know myself or whoever, like in the heat of the moment, you're you'll be like, I am grand. I I just I can play on. It doesn't matter. I'm I'm fine. You know, you you'll want to play it on. I know being in that position myself. Now I've never thankfully had concussion, um. But um, yeah, you're like that decision can't be made by the players. It has to be made by the the correct medical professionals, um, and the doctors on the side of the pitch. So yeah, that's 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 bad to see. Um, I think they're improving that kind of stuff all the time, but yeah, that's definitely a negative, and it's something that just need they need to get to the level that they are in the likes of the NFL and rugby, etc., for head protocols um, to, to to test to see if a player is is eligible or not to go back onto the field to play. So yeah, that's 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 bad to see, and hopefully we don't see that happen the rest of the tournament, um, and obviously going forwards. Yeah, exactly. And it, it is going to be an interesting thing kind of to see kind of if we have any other incidents. Hopefully we we don't. But I could even say see from Petr Cech was in uh, the BBC studio um, the, the day of the game and that he was asked obviously about it. And he, he himself said he doesn't understand why he was kept on the pitch because he knows from his own experience of get, getting a head injury, he should he should have been taken off the pitch. Um, touching on obviously you we touched on obviously Ronaldo is the top goal scorer, and then he the other day broke a record obviously being the the highest scoring active player for international goals now a hundred and six goals which is incredible obviously um for for a player um what can you see him score getting to maybe a hundred and twenty goals before he retires from international football or even more. Look, whatever Ronaldo wants to achieve, he can achieve. The chap is just I uh, have an unbelievable kind of admiration for his his dedication to the game, um, and what he like. He's thirty six years of age, and the chap's top scorer at a European tournament. Now, bear in mind, three have been three of uh, three or four have been penalties, but um, he's still been fantastic, um, and influential for Portugal. Look, it uh. If he wants, like, like, he's definitely going to go as far as the next World Cup, obviously, um, touch wood and no major injuries. Um, he's obviously been blessed in terms of how well he looks after his body. He has to take a lot of um, a pride in that. And he's been lucky to an extent that he hasn't had any major injuries. Um, so, 
look, yeah, I could say, I'll be honest with you, I'd be very surprised if Ronaldo retires before the age of 40. That's just the impression I get him. Like it, he could he could play into his forties if he wants. I don't know if he'll play. He'd be at that level or be playing internationally. I think probably the World Cup realistically um, next year will be his last major tournament at an international level. But um, domestically or at club level, he can definitely go for at least another four or five years if he wants. Um, he's just yeah. You run out of uh, superlatives and kind of praise you can give the man. He's just. Unbelievable. Yeah, he's just he's just one of those players. It's like him and Messi, you can see why they're like the, the standout performers. They're just what they can do on the pitch, even at their age now, kind of they just still put in the performances, they still shine. And it's just incredible. Like watching him play and what he can create. Like he changed the in their first game for Portugal, he made the difference in those few minutes uh for them when they when they were um perform underperforming he just came on and just brought it to another level and he can do that he can literally he can go from nothing to ronaldo literally just within seconds he just knows how to change up a game and even to be doing it at his age is just oh you you can admire him and i i can imagine some fans like i know from my own experience when he was playing for united and when when he was at that period when he was score banging in goals it's just when you're an opposition fan watching him and cheering on another team, it, it can be frustrating because you know he could just win a game with, by the scruff of the neck for anyone. Um, then I think the last kind of question I have is obviously we've watching the Euros. Kind of what have you learned kind of from the, this tournament that maybe kind of UEFA need to kind of do going forward? Like, can you see them maybe kind of expanding the tournament and not having making it a bit more difficult for maybe having it that there's one or two more groups so more teams can qualify or whether that they bring in something to maybe change it or draft it up a bit differently? Um, I'll be honest with you, I don't, I don't know if I like the road, the... UEFA and FIFA are going down in terms of um, the processes and how they want to they view knockout tournaments. Like knockout tournaments, the way they've done it for years. I I, I think getting like teams qualifying to a knockout stage, having finished third of four teams in a group, just doesn't make sense to me. I think it should be done first place and second place, and just leave it at that. Uh, that's just my opinion. So yeah, look, the the size of the the size of Europe in general and the, the amount of countries, there's no reason why they can't get it to so that there's there's eight groups of, of four or whatever. Um and then straight to a last sixteen, quarter finals, semi finals, um and a final. Like I think we've enough countries within Europe to be able to do that. Um and then like you, there's plenty of like name biggish names that have missed out on the tournament. Um, so I don't think that would be a bad decision and then yeah I think they, they need to scrap the whole finishing third and getting through obviously it worked out for the likes of Portugal and some other high profile teams that were in very very difficult groups but um, I, I, that wouldn't be something I'd like to see continuously anyway 
Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. I think I think it needs to expand uh, to a bigger tournament. I think it's, it's a bit stupid how, in regards that they they have only the the six groups and the third place and qualify, and you literally could get one win and you can qualify. I think it needs to be there needs to be more strict on that because it, it it's just just saying to teams, oh yeah, you can still qualify even if you've a, a rubbish from you. You could get three three draws. And you could still qualify in third place if you're in third place and from a team who's potentially won two games. Um, you know, and there's other teams who maybe have won in their group, but because uh, they they've only won they've won one game, but um, have a a worse goal difference, don't qualify. So it, it's it's not not great on that side. Um, has your opinion on who's going to win changed? Um, so you had Portugal and I had France. So are you going to stick with Portugal or are you going to go someone different? No, because I think Portugal are going to get Italy now in the um, in the the, knock, the knockout stages. So if Portugal even beat Belgium, I think Italy would be too good for them. So I, I'd be I'm going to back Italy now to win it. And yeah. I yeah, and in, fair, in fairness, I also said Italy at the beginning of the tournament were dark horses. So, um, I still think uh, I I think I'm entitled to be able to to pick Italy now. <laughs> yeah, I did as well, and I actually I think I agree with you. I think it's going to be a France Italy semi final, and whoever wins that semi final, I think will win the tournament. I think that side, I think that left side is where the the winner is. So whoever wins in that left side is going. It, yeah, when it gets to the semi-final stage, is going to win. I think overall, I think you look at the kind of the right side. You've got your England, your Germany. Yeah, they can be good. Germany aren't good, and England just don't seem to be freely scoring. So I just just think they they, they won't get there. And uh, Netherlands obviously look like a decent side, but I just don't think they could do it in a, in a final. Um, but I think uh, yeah, it's either it, Italy or France. But I'd say my kind of after watching the group stage my i'm more sided at the italy side because of how they perform in the group stage and how easily they they walk through kind of teams um i suppose then kind of from there that's probably the best place to end it um thank you again for joining me for today's episode Root. as always great to have you on thanks you know been a pleasure great episode and hopefully um Hopefully, uh, big loads of good knockout stages places now, and our knockout stage games, um, and we can kind of reflect on it now at the end of the tournament and look back, and hopefully some predictions come true. Yeah, and uh, as always, thank uh, you all for people listening to our latest episode. If you enjoyed the episode, please uh, don't forget to subscribe for more. Until then, it's goodbye from the Water Hits on podcast. <laughs>